Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. y'all welcome to the stack i am alex i'm justin i'm pete and on the stack we talk about a ton of comics that have come out this very day a ton it, well uh, not uh, all of them that was a lie not all of them have come out today dc comics come out yesterday but that's fine we're all good here we just like talking yeah. about comics it's so let's comics is comics it. Comics is comics. Let's talk about a big anniversary issue, Justice League number 50 from DC Comics, written by Cy Spurrier and pencils by Aaron LePestri. Now, in this book, the Justice League has not taken over an alien planet, but is basically helping run an alien planet. They've become embroiled in a big old war and find out, of course, not everything is what they think. How, what did you think about this issue? And also, how did you think about it as a anniversary issue for the Justice League? Well, it's an interesting issue okay. because uh, it really gets into the emotional relationships between the characters in a way that I didn't really see coming for a big anniversary issue. Uh, right? I, yeah. I felt like, I I felt like it and made By the way, should, that, you should mention Pete is in an echo chamber today where he can't get close enough to his microphone. So go ahead, Pete. Yeah, uh, I'm working on that old school echo sound effect, you know, just really having fun with that. Just lean into your mic, buddy. Yeah. You can do it. So I feel like, (laughs) um, I'm sorry, man, my back is fucking killing me, so I can't bend over for another hour. I'm being rough on you. I apologize. Um, This is is classic. This is like Batman razzing uh, Wonder Woman in this issue of Justice League. Oh, good stuff. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I just felt like it was, to me, a classic Justice League because it was, you know, there was, you everybody learned everything. It had, like, that kind of, like, not, fighting's not the answer. You got to talk it out. Like, I felt like it was, like, a nice kind of, like, the more you know kind of moment Justice League thing. Hmm. A PSA. I- I mean, to the point you were making, Justin, uh, I was surprised about this issue, particularly after the 
enormous moves that Scott Snyder and company were making on the Justice League run for most of, I don't know, I, I don't know how many issues it was, but for certainly for most of this run, Cy Spurrier, always good. Alvin Prestry, very good at sort of old school art. I particularly like Batman's cape, which was almost like veiny in a yeah. way, which was interesting. But Yum. You I wanted, when you I see wanted the more uh, out of this. I wanted a mission statement about the Justice League, and that's not necessarily what I got. Yeah, and I don't know. So, Cy Spurrier just, I feel like, doesn't write that way. Uh, he, no. the, he's someone who's going to bring in sort of like weirder takes and get into sort of internal, uh, the in- internality of the characters. And I, I think that's what you get here, which is in stark contrast to all of Scott Snyder's stuff. And it, it's good. It's a yeah. good issue of Justice League. I just don't think it's a Justice League number 50. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, that's shots, yeah. dude. Shots that's fired. All, no, I don't think it's shots fired. It's I think, shots fired. What number <laughs> feels better for this? Are you yeah, talking like 27? 47? Yeah. Four? Yeah. It, honestly, if it was Justice League 27, I'd be like, this is a good issue. As Justice League 50, I want a celebration of what makes the Justice League the Justice League. And to your point... Uh, uh, yeah, you don't get Cy Spurrier to do that. You get Cy Spurrier to be like, what's my weird sci-fi idea? And then ground some characters for that, which he does very well here. Yeah. There you go. Uh, let's talk about another grounded space epic, Empire number 4 from Marvel Comics, story by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, script by Al Ewing, art by Valerio Shidi. Uh, and I'll tell you a Shidi thing that happens in this oh, issue. Oh, come on, Spoiler. man. Alex, come Scott, on, don't you do that. Prepare the script for this uh, <laughs> stack that, podcast. I've been, I've been preparing for this my whole life, buddy. Uh, the... I so guess I would give this Korean comic a sigh, Spurrier, the writer of it, <laughs> and move on to... This is going to make you say, Ewing. Oh, come on. And slot in another opinion. I, I don't know. That didn't really work. Uh, listen, I had this great transition, and you guys fucked it up for well, me Well, because you're shitting on someone's actual name. You're being yeah, really shitty about this person's name. <laughs> no. I didn't do that. You, you did. did do it. You did no, it, Pete. No, you, you did, did it. You did that. You did that. So, Kree Scroll War turns out to actually be a war with the Kotati, who are some plant people who are trying to take over Earth. We've seen that fall out all over Earth. They're attacking Wakanda. They're fighting Captain America. They're doing all these things. Meanwhile, in space, Hulkling and his army... uh, Hulkling is trying to keep the peace, but as of this issue, spoiler, he's not. Something seems to be wrong with him. Uh, And I'm just going to straight up spoil the two big things I think that happen this issue because I think they're worth talking about. So if you don't want spoilers, turn away. First one, we know that She-Hulk got a power-up back in the first issue. She got a what seemed like an accuser's hammer. She got control of her mind. Turns out, according to the Kotati, she's dead. They killed yeah. her and infected her with a plant. And she mentions that as she's going toe-to-toe with the thing. That is very upsetting. I agree. What an inauspicious death for a great character that's... Uh gotten a lot of like maybe not great treatment over the years but certainly like some great stories from Dan Slott. Uh, yeah, exactly. I I feel like though that because it was off panel and such a side comment that it's not holding water. It's just a villain saying some shit to try to get somebody off their game. 
I think that's possible. I could certainly see a swerve like that there. But the fact that they have the villain repeat, nope, she's dead. Yes. She dead, basically, is pretty in your face about it. Um, and if it is true, if that is how they kill, kill off She-Hulk, real bubber. I do not yeah. like that at all. Agreed. Didn't didn't like to have She-Hulk be the one that goes down, again, without any real fanfare. But- if anybody's going to kill She-Hulk, I feel like Dan Slott can if he wants to. I really hope that's not what happens, and I really hope that like it's not some off-panel thing that a villain says, and that's all we get. But, uh, you know, he it did do a lot of great She-Hulk stuff, so, you know, it is his choice, and he does like to drink the tears of his readers, so... Hmm. I thought you were going to say, if there's anyone that's going to take out She-Hulk, it's a random moon plant. Her <laughs> greatest nemesis. <laughs> well, moon uh, for so long. Are tough, for so man. long. She's hated plants. Uh, the second big thing, though, on the opposite of the spectrum, great thing that I hope they blow the lid off of on Marvel because this is such a big, awesome deal. So Hulkling's acting weird. Uh, Captain Marvel and Johnny Storm get sent back to Earth. They get sent to Wiccan's apartment or whatever he's called now. And Wiccan says, nah, that's not Teddy. That definitely is not Teddy. Look at him. His face isn't doing that. That's not what he does. That's not how he's acting. I don't care if you scanned him and found out that was definitely Teddy. They're fooling your instruments. And I know because that's not the man that I married. And the last page is the reveal that they already got married with the young Avengers all there. Awesome. Yeah. That was great. And what Boom, a shakalaka. To save that for the last page reveal, I thought was really cool too, because, you know, that's in big events like this, that's where you expect the sort of big takeaway from the issue. And the fact that they chose to make it that, I thought was great. Plus, like, what a great plug for Wilbur's walk in weddings. I mean, Wilbur <laughs> is, I mean, that's some prime advertising right there. You thinking yeah. about checking that one out, Pete? Oh, yeah, man. Just going to walk in one, bro. Wilbur, nice. you were right. That's I nice. I tell you. You're t- thinking about I getting th- married, Pete. Uh, I, no, not until <laughs> I saw this amazing ad. <laughs> Uh, I will tell you if I've been a little, even though I've enjoyed reading these issues, I think I've been a little cold on this crossover. If it turns out that empire is just all an epic love story between Hulkling and Wiccan. Great. 100% on board. They're one of the best relationships in the Marvel universe. So doubling down on that, I think is phenomenal. And I, I hope that's the direction this is going in. Uh, next up to continue the Empire beat, we got Lords of Empire Celestial Messiah number one from Marvel, written by Alex Packnadal and art by Alex Linz. Other than the fact that it's very weird that there's this many Alexes on this book, speaking as Alex. Oh, uh, only you I could think, say that. Only yeah, you could exactly. go after the Alex. Otherwise, high. it's anti-Alex Aminic. Uh, the uh, this is another one of these one shots focusing on one of the big characters of Empire. We, I think, really loved the last one, the Lords of Empire, uh, Emperor Hulkling. How'd you feel about this one? Uh, I liked it. Um, I thought reading this really connected um, to me how much Empire feels like it's drawing from Alan Moore Swamp Thing as like. Uh, sort of that mythical underpinning and plant uh, biological, a little bit of like body dysmorphia stuff coming through here. So that was cool. Also, you know, you got to fight your mom someday. That's something we mm-hmm. all know. Oh, got to fight your mom. 
Yeah, it's going to be tough, man. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> um, yeah, some cool art, some fun flashback stuff, some weird flashback stuff. All right. <laughs> I like the flashbacks a little better than the present stuff. Uh, I was looking forward to this just because I was so presently supply, pleasantly surprised, excuse me, by the Emperor Hulkling book. Um, I would have loved for this to just stay in the past, focus on a swordsman and Mantis's relationship leading up to uh, the- Celestial Messiah and the present versus the present stuff, which well drawn, but the past stuff felt much more special and poignant to me. The kids stuff was fucking with me too much, man. That one kid, it was super mean. He was like, "I there's only one Captain America." I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me, kid? What the fuck?" Yeah, you got to read Truth. Yeah, right. Find out about the original Captain America. You jerk, you jerk, little kid. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Ice Cream Man number twenty from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo. Uh, I'll also mention we have W. Maxwell Prince is going to be a guest on our live show next week, which I'm very excited slash nervous I'm about. Nervous. Just because yeah, I'm... we love this book so much. What if he uh, infects us? This? What if he infects us with some brain? Oh my God. I'm so I'm fucking scared. I'm legitimately scared. Like, he's probably yeah. going to be like, hey, guys, I'm a normal guy. What's going on? Let's talk about ice cream. <laughs> yeah. But there's what a part of has, me. like, a fucked up smile that just gets bigger and bigger as we have the So this issue, like most issues of Ice Cream Man, is a very focused story. In this one, the Ice Cream Man himself has taken up residence with the family, is reading stories to the kids, and they're all messed up versions of classic stories from Dr. Seuss, uh, from Sam I Am, uh, Green Eggs and Ham, excuse me, uh, to The the Giving Tree, tree, Good Night Moon, Good Night Moon. Man, this was this was too (laughs) much, man. This was fucked. With my childhood in a way I wasn't ready for, man. Yeah. Uh, This is a great issue. I think after the poignancy of the past couple of issues, this is, and this is diminishing it by saying this a little bit, but it's a little bit more of a lark. But he even says that at the beginning that I think he says it's a comedy in three parts. Yeah. And that's kind of what it is. It's just these funny insanely dark parodies of these books with the wraparound, uh, but uh, still a particularly great issue of the book. Uh, This, this for me, like really hurt. Like when they did the, the mockery of the giving tree and then set the tree on fire, I had to walk away. I was like, you fucking asshole. That was like one of, you know, when I was a kid, like that story was really touching and like it was like he set my childhood on fire. That one hurt, man. It is fucked up. And we should say that Pete is the son of a human father and a, a plant, a tree. So it really mm-hmm. makes sense. And also why Empire is such a struggle for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have, I thought this was great. Like to your point, Alex, like going down and having the sort of the more a little more arch, a little more poignant stuff of the previous issues. And then getting into this, which is fun. There's there's humor here, despite the fact that it's like pitch black and terrifying. Uh, is what is so great about this book. Also, like each book is so twisted and unique. There is a fear when you start to read one of these issues where it's like, oh god, 
Is this going to be really fucked up? Like, oh, God, is this going to live up to the hype? Because it's been so well done each issue. Part of me is like, oh, God, I don't want them to lose this kind of like amazing web that they've woven. And it's uh, it's really, really well done. Yeah, great issue. Definitely pick up this book. Let's move on to another one. Backtrack number five from Oni Press, written and created by Brian Joins, illustrated by Jake Elphick. I've, I think we've sung the praises of this book for the past couple of issues. This is basically a death race set throughout time is the pitch here. Uh, this is picking up on the last issue where they're trapped in Berlin before the wall has fallen on the wrong side of the wall. They've all been captured and they've got to escape and get to their checkpoint. Uh, this is another uh, great issue of this book. I just, I know I say the same thing each time, but such a clear pitch. The stakes are so high. Uh, they ramp up exponentially what's going on in terms of the danger by the end of this issue. It's just so smartly written across the board. Yeah, I agree. It feels it feels so different from other books and such a strong premise. This issue felt a little bit to me bogged down when the the other mm-hmm. earlier issues felt like super fun sort of throughout. This was like a little more like running around through different rooms. Um, but I just love the way this book is constantly driving forward. Like the cars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is kind of like a it's not Fast and Furious in time because there's other stuff going on and, and different characters. But, like, um, <laughs> I, uh, versus pace, Fast and Furious, which is very focused. Well, the pace of this is, is great. It's, and technically, it, Fast gr- and Furious, they're traveling through time because they're moving slowly forward like most humans. <laughs> okay, Just great, a little great. bit yeah, faster. Know. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Dominic Toretto lives his life a quarter mile at a time, Pete. <laughs> wow, I like the way... You did the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Uh, so there's nothing better than, you know, killing Nazis and running through time. So, like, yeah, sure, let's have some fun. I'm excited. I mean, they're not Nazis, but all right. Yeah, they're kind, they're kind of Nazis. You say this a lot on the podcast, and just because they're Germans back in time does not intrinsically make them Nazis. Okay. There's a lot of different time periods in Germany and okay. a lot of different things going if, on. You, if you show me Germany back in the day, you know what I'm going to think about? <laughs> so that's... Wow. That. Are the Neanderthals that settled in the <laughs> France-German France area considered Nazis as well? Yes, they are. Yes, wow. they are. Um, so anyways... Yeah, this this is fun. The art's great. It's a great pace to this comic. Next up, Deceased Dead Planet, number two from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor and pencils by Trevor Harrison. This is taking place in a world taken over by the anti-life equation. Last issue, we focused on a new generation of heroes who had escaped. They come back. They find out, thanks to Cyborg's severed head, that there is potentially a cure for everything that's going on. This issue, we kind of pick up on that, but mostly we focus on the Shadow Pact, who ends up in a horrible, horrible situation. I am consistently impressed how through both Injustice and this uh, this franchise, Tom Taylor could just make messed up situation after messed up situation. His imagination is phenomenally yeah. impressive. It's really crazy because I was like, 
so blindsided. I should have seen it coming a mile away. I was like, yeah, fucking Shadow Pack. This is great. And then I'm like, oh, no, Shadow Pack. Why? Um, But I just, I love, the art's amazing. I loved seeing Swamp Thing lose his shit. You know, I guess Harley Quinn's going to be in every comic now. I'm fine with it. I, you know, it's fine. Um, I mean, I I would argue that part of it, beyond Jimmy Pamiotti and Amanda uh, Connor, is what Tom Taylor has done with Harley Quinn through his Injustice comics, is he's really embraced her and written her in a fantastic way. He's clearly a favorite of hers. That's why he works her in. Um, but a lot of it can be chalked up to his writing. Yeah, I... I I don't even mind that, but you know it's definitely happening right now. Uh, I like <laughs> wow, uh, writing is happening. I love the just the specificity of all of these books um, and Tom Taylor's work in general. I think that is what it's like. Comes in hard on a story, tells it like with impactful beats throughout, and then moves on. And I think that's what's so good about these books. And it really feels like a fresh take on the, the sort of superhero zombie genre. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Giant Size X-Men Phantom X number one from Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman and art by Ivan Rice. I think um, there was a Rice, but I couldn't find the first name. Um, so one of our criticisms of these giant size books is they don't seem to focus on the people of their title. You know, that it's like Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler. It's Rod it's Rice. Rod Rice, thank you. Uh, but it's about, uh, that makes a lot more sense than Ivan Rice because it didn't look like his art. Um you know, they'll have like uh, giant size X-Men Nightcrawler, but it's focusing on Glob Herman or whatever. But this one is very squarely on Phantom X and his history, which is very convoluted, very complicated. This surprisingly to me distills everything that's going down with him in a very simple way and follows him through the decades as he consistently tries to infiltrate the world, the place that made him What'd you guys think about this book? So, uh, also, Rod Rice is uh, on the writing part of it as well. He's doing the stories, not just the art. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is just kind of like Phantom X Groundhog Day type of situation uh, where every <laughs> 10 years, instead of reliving the same day. Uh, so, yeah, I was glad by the end of it, he's like, okay, for the last time, I'm like, is it Phantom? I, it would be cool if it was. Um, but oh, you call him Phantom for short? Yeah, Fanties. Uh, Fanties. But, yeah, I uh, I don't know. It's cool. Uh, you know, it kind of we didn't really get anywhere. But all right, I'm excited to see maybe something happens moving forward. But cool. Um, I mean, I've said this like you were saying, Alex, about a lot of these issues. It feels like it's just sort of a a free writing. Uh, series of books for Jonathan Hickman where he can just sort of cut loose and tell sort of a a bit of a wandery story. This one is definitely going in the direction, but it doesn't leave us with any like, oh, I see now. Yeah, there was right. one scene, though, I think really stands out. It's um, in the middle of the book. Um, Phantom X is sitting with uh, Wolverine and Scott Summers. Yeah. And uh, Scott Summers passes out from being too drunk. And right. Wolverine says, and I make if I may quote, this guy's one of the best, talking about Scott Summers. Trust me, Phantom X, Phantom X, it's like I promised. There's nobody I'd rather have in my corner than Scott Summers. Yeah, uh, but it's, at, it's also, uh, they're all drinking, so he could be very, being very sarcastic because they're walking away and leaving Scott Summers lying on the ground. So, 
The next page, though, he says, just to be clear, now that I'm sober, I was not drunk when I said those things about Scott Summers. No, no, that didn't happen. Then the Punisher came out okay, and said, so, Pete, I want to be very clear. Scott Summers is the best of us. Uh, I want to be super clear about something. The art in this book is phenomenal. Is it worth picking up for the art alone, Pete? Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever said that before, but that's a nice thing to say about <laughs> wow. They Did actually you... say that all the time at my day job. Oh, wow. cool. You this is very son cool. of a bitch. <laughs> I'm a classically trained actor. Uh, so uh, what else? <laughs> uh, we're fucking shill parrots is what we are. We'll say whatever the people tell us to say. Undiscovered Country number 7 from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, art by Giuseppe Cavacoli and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. This is kicking off the second arc of this book. The first arc found a bunch of people infiltrating the Forbidden Zone that was the United States, finding out the time had sped up there so that horrible monsters and a weird creature called the Dusty Man were controlling the outer rim of the United States. They've managed to work their way into the second rim, and that's where we pick up here, uh, where we get to the second circle of the United States. It's very different from the first one. There is, I would say, a great twist at the end. This this book is just very very good. I don't know what's going on most yes. of the time. Finally, but I love some clarity. It anyway. They give us yeah. some backstory yeah. that is also weird and crazy, and we still don't know what it means. Um, <laughs> but it is like the story elements are there where they're like we we get twists and turns. It's just we don't know much about the context or what and what if in any direction we're headed in. Yeah, it's really impressive how little we know, but I feel like we get a lot in this issue, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, we still don't have the answers we need, but this is really fun. The art's phenomenal, uh, kind of really great last page. And, you know, we get like little moments in this, which is nice because like before it's just been, I feel like, uh, we haven't really known the characters enough to kind of sit with them, but this kind of, it feels like it's catching up to itself and like, uh, paying off the smaller beats well, which is great. I think that's a fair point, Pete, that it definitely we've gotten backstories for each of the main characters who came into America at this point. So we know them. We get a different character's backstory in this issue. So that's fleshed out for a very specific purpose by the end. But to the point Justin was making, it's almost like what if Lost was all polar bears and smoke monsters and those were all the characters? It's a a great call. That's a great call. Yeah. Uh, where it's fascinating, and I can't stop reading it, but I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah. Uh, here's another one that's a little more straightforward. Transformers, My Little Pony, Friendship <laughs> in Disguise, yeah. number one from IDW, written by our friend James Asmus and Ian Flynn, art by Tony Flex and Jack Lawrence. This is, as you can guess from the title, mashing up My Little Pony and Transformers. It's two stories. The first one brings them together in the universe by James Asmus. The second one, Ian Flynn, has uh, one of the Transformers team up with one of the My Little Ponies. Pete, you seem pretty jazzed about this, which I'm surprised about. Yeah, at first I was like, these don't belong together. What the fuck are you doing? How does this exist? Uh, But even when it opens, the My Little Pony is kind of making fun of it. And I think it does a good job of, like, how are we going to do this? And it's 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 fun. It's enjoyable. It's ridiculous, 
but you've got to be like, all right, this is going to be insane going in. And uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to see a fucked up dark My Little Pony team up with Megatron. Yeah. Uh, Justin, what did you think about this one? Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's a fun mashup. When you take uh, two disparate things and put them together, um, it's what I mean, it's what you are getting from the title alone. Friendship in Disguise is just a great title, and that is literally what happens. Yeah. And- I, I was surprised how, and I probably shouldn't have been, but I was surprised how hilarious James Asmus's story was. Yes. Like, it... It leans into the comedy. It's basically him writing bits the entire time. And they're very funny bits. Um, the second story is a little more straightforward uh, in terms of, okay, this is what it's like if Transformers and My Little Pony teamed up. But the first one I liked quite a lot. There's a great bit with Grimlock that happens halfway through. <laughs> that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed this. I, I thought that was a fun issue. It was yeah. fun. Yeah, it, it was. It was a lot more uh, surprising. Uh, I just didn't think it could be this good. But it's also like, as a kid, you know, uh, when I would go visit friends or whatever, it would be like I would bring my Transformers and they would have My Little Pony. So it was kind of like my childhood came to life a little bit. I want to see uh. the My Little Pony cut of the Transformers films. There you go. <laughs> Next up, Release Strange the Pony Adventures. Cut. Strange Adventures number four from DC Comics, written by Tom King, interior and cover art by Mitch Gerards and Evan Doc Shader. So it seems like every issue, every other issue of this book, the first, the odd issues are going to focus on Adam Strange or Alana Strange. And then the even issues are going to focus on Mr. Terrific. I guess. Yes. Because this one, we see Mr. Terrific head to Ron to investigate what's been going on with Adam Strange. He, of course, runs into resistance. The flashback storyline is we see Adam Strange trying to get back to Ron in the middle of the war that he said he'd fight. Just another phenomenal issue of this book. Yeah. I would, what, what the, the way it's being laid out, what Tom King is doing by just sort of making us see Adam Strange as this, like, sort of disingenuous, like, what is this guy up to uh, presence in the story and then having that be what sort of the end point that we're going to arrive at. Like, is he lying? What's his deal? I think it's just so fun. And having someone like Mr. Terrific on the other side of that whose whole thing is being fair and seeking justice is just a great two sides of the coin playing against each other. I mean, the only thing that I learned for sure uh, with this issue is that it's going to 12. On the cover, it said number four of 12. And I was like, oh, okay, that's good to know. It's nice to have some facts as I move forward. I um, appreciate the fact that you read the cover, Pete. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea what's happening in this at all. I don't know what's happening with the evens or the odds or any of that kind of shit. But I do enjoy it. It's very enjoyable. Ooh. And, uh, you know, don't don't point guns at Mr. Terrific. OK, don't don't try to shoot Mr. Terrific. All right. Thank you. It's I am in love with the fact that this is not just a great Adam Strange book, but a great Mr. Terrific book, which is such a underused character in the DC universe. To spoil a couple of moments that like one moment, actually, that made me say, oh, shit, out loud. 
So Mr. Terrific is investigating what's going on. He's been giving diplomatic uh, help by Ron. He's going. He's investigating the mystery. They say, absolutely. You can investigate anything in our archives. Just look into them. Oh, the picked stuff, this, uh, the bad guy stuff, we haven't been able to translate it. So he goes. He does that. He look, uh, goes back and says, hey, I want to read the pick stuff. And the librarian says, oh, nobody can read that. We haven't been able to translate it. He says, well, I actually learned picked on the way over here. So if you could just give it to me. And there's a predictable amount of back and forth where he's just like, give me this stuff. Eventually, Sardath, who is this classic DC Comics character, who you know is just the tightest of the tight asses, in the DC universe comes up and says, no, you absolutely can't do this. You've overstepped your bounds. And he hits him. And Mr. Terrific, I think, backhands him. Yeah, backhands him. Which, like, I legitimately said, oh, shit, out loud <laughs> yeah. when I read that. Which but I, never I also do loved what fair he play, said after. Yeah, he goes, and then he says, you, yeah, what do you think fair, fair play means? <laughs> which is an amazing line. Like, yeah. absolutely fantastic. Like, uh, just, I didn't expect that out of this book, given how tense and emotional it's been the past couple of issues and not to spend too much time on this, but man, the, the fact that every issue of this book has gotten an emotional reaction out of me personally, that is a testament to how good it is. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Uh, next one, Dr. Strange, Surgeon Supreme, number six from Marvel comics, Mark Wade and Kev Walker storytellers. This is the last issue of this book, which as you could probably tell from the title has taken the bet that Dr. Strange is not only a sorcerer Supreme, he's also a surgeon and he can do that again because his hands are kind of fixed. Uh, this one, he's going up against Madame mask. There's with Dr. Druid. There's some fun stuff throughout. How'd you feel about this issue? I like this a lot. I was sad to see in the back that it's the last issue of the series. Um, I love Mark Wade's stories. There's no one better writing like just a great single issue of a comic. No matter what part of an arc it's on, he just like crushes it. And uh, this was great. We get in the head of Madame Mask, find out she's truly in love with Iron Man. Very fun stuff. Uh, sad that it's over. Uh, yeah, the art's uh, unbelievable. It's uh, really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a little weird where it was like, you know, I'll give you a new mask. And she's like, how dare you? And jumps out a window. But, you know, all right. It would restore her sanity, that mask. She'd rather be crazy in love uh, than uh, sane and, and I guess, just regular. Did it, uh, this is not apropos of the discussion at all, but Kev Walker, didn't he do Thunderbolts, I think? Uh, because this having Madame Mask there and his art on that can be pleasant vibes of that a little bit. It's just a good story. I wish it was ongoing. I understand you can't necessarily maintain a Doctor Strange book long form, but good stuff. And I think everybody should check it out. Sex Criminals, number 30 from Image Comics by Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. This is the second to last issue of the book. There's a great joke about this in the back matter where Matt Fraction says, wow, the last issue of Six X Criminals. I can't believe I'm writing that mainly because this is not the last issue of Sex Criminals. Very funny. Uh, But this is wrapping up the present storyline. It seems like it's the last issue. 
Well, he says this is wrapping up the storyline, and then next issue is essentially a postscript to the series where they follow up, I think, three years and three months later with all of the characters. But we get a, a wrap up of our main characters and the main emotional relationship. How'd you feel about this? How'd you feel a, uh, almost treating this as the last issue? How'd you feel it wrapped up? Here? I feel like it should they should meet up three years in one month because it'll be issue 31. But all right. Well, getting into the numbers, mm-hmm. um, I love this issue. Uh, I've found this series like like fun and interesting, but a little inconsistent, sort of with what it was. Like it was often like very funny and often like sort of intense. Um, but this really nailed it, I think, tonally, where it really brought all the themes home. You really feel you're right there alongside um, the characters, and just really good. Really, I think my favorite issue of the series is this one. Um, yeah, I mean, the art and the storytelling is just really phenomenal. It's, uh, it's amazing panel work and really just like the different lighting and shading with how it's telling the story. Uh, it's really just, I can't say enough about the art and the storytelling. It's, it's really impressive. It's good stuff. This is a great book. Don't pick it up with this issue because it's the second to last one. Next up, Batman number 96 from DC Comics, written by James Tynion IV and art by Jorge Jimenez. This is continuing the Joker War storyline. The Joker has basically taken over Gotham by this point. Batman is losing his mind. What'd you think? This is so intense in such a crazy great way of like, and the cover really says it all where it's like Batman on the outside of his own plane and Joker's running shit. I mean, Batman basically wakes up to the Joker being in charge of Gotham and it's his kind of his worst nightmare. And, you know, it's funny because we've got Harley Quinn here being the voice of reason, which is a fun change. And like... Uh, You know, Batman is like talking to himself and there's like this funny moment where he's like, you're not real, but I'll deal with that later. Uh, This. Yeah, it's just so intense. Uh, It's a really smart idea of like, okay, you know, Joker's like you have all the best toys. What if we gave Joker all of Batman's resources what the fuck would he do? And that's such a fun idea. And it's kind of fun to see this play out and to see what's going to happen. Um, Batman is such a huge book to write, and I feel like uh, James is really killing it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, Harley, this is a great Harley issue, I thought. And the the choice to give Joker money is just so smart, and I love seeing it play out. Also, yeah. we got like... In- we had Punchline introduced, you know, uh, but then we get this kind of crazy punk kid who's got a bat with a batarang. So it's like a bat batarang. Uh, uh, but you love a, that. That's basically Casey Jones in the yeah, Batman universe. Yeah, exactly. So we'll be interested to see what happens with that. This is a great book. Next one up, Fantastic Four, number two from Marvel, written by Dan Slott, art by Paco Medina and Sean Zaskis. This is tying into Empire. It's focusing on Valeria and Franklin, who are on Earth. They are on Yancey Street, of course. They've called in Wolverine and Spider-Man and almost made the entire lineup of the new Fantastic Four, which is what Dan Slott's riffing off of here. It was just a lot of fun. I enjoyed this book, and I think this is like 
dead slot in his sweet spot, which is Marvel continuity and playing with it and playing with the characters he loves. Yeah, I love the new Fantastic Four sort of being a piece here with uh, Spider-Man, Wolverine, uh, Hulk and Ghost Rider. Remember that? Yeah. 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 I I love that team up. That was really fun back in the day. Um, Yeah, this was a fun book. Um, Dan Slott just having some fun. And it's cool because, like, as someone who's read a ton of this shit, um, it's fun to be like, oh, wait. Sorry, when you say a ton of the shit, do you mean comic books? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Specifically Ghost Rider and Hulk comic books. Like, Mm. when the characters are talking and you're kind of like, that's not their voices. And then it kind of turns out you're kind of right and they know that and they were kind of, like, uh, leaning into that the whole time. It's just... This is such well-written, well-set-up, really cool stuff, and it's fun to see kind of Dan Slott doing this kind of stuff. This is a sweet spot to me. I agree. Like I said, sweet spot. Justin, do you agree? Sweet spot? Sweet spot, sweet slot. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, the goddamn The Virgin Brides, number two from Image Comics, written by Jason Aaron and art by R.M. Guerra. This is continuing a new story in the world of the goddamn, which is a messed up Bible set storyline. Here we get a couple of virgins who are being held by old women. They are, as they found out the last issue, forced to mate with angels to create horrific angel babies. One of them finally got her womanly time and is decided to flee. In this issue, the two of them flee. They are trying to get away. Uh, this book is so intense to read. Yes, it yeah. is. It's like yeah. Thelma and Louise uh, just from running from horrifying angels, uh, basically, rather than just a society that doesn't have a place for them. Now, Pete, you were not a big fan of the first issue. How'd you feel about the second one? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's a lot of... Uh it, it's yeah, it's it's dark, it's twisted. There's a lot of weird nudity. I you know I um, I don't know, man. It's I'm excited to see where this goes because right now I'm a little uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> there right. you go. I, uh, great. It's definitely it's very dark. It's very violent. It's very sexual. Um, but I like this, where it ends. A classic to, Pete cocktail. Yeah, but I like where it ends. It gives you a little hope that it's not going to stay in this dark, fucked up, you know, place. It definitely is. All right, next up, Far (laughs) Sector number seven from DC Comics, written by N.K. Jemisin and art by Jamal Campbell. This has been one of our favorite books on the podcast, a different sort of riff on Green Lantern. Here she is going up against some tech villains, finds out things are not exactly what she thinks they are, but also we get further hints that things are not what we think they are in terms of her Green Lantern ring, this issue. Once again, such a well-structured, intriguing Green Lantern book. And like both of you guys have been saying, uh, the best Green Lantern book on the stands. It's by far my favorite thing that's in the Green Lantern world. I can't recommend this comic enough. This is so badass, so creative. The art is unbelievable. The the pace of it is just glorious. I, I just it, it looks kind of like a a Voltron anime style. It's just so so fantastic. The coloring it, it's such a you got to pick up this book. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Pete. Um, and what really stood out this issue is just the cleanliness of the art. Like, it's so yeah. clean. It's, it builds a world with just the, like, the science fiction world that feels like it stands alone. Uh, so good. And last one we're going to talk about, this is from one of our guests on our previous week's live podcast. Rick and Morty presents Bird Person Number 1 from Oni Press, written by Alex Fire and illustrated by Fred C. Stressing. If you haven't listened to live podcast with Alex, definitely check it out. But... Let's see what's going on. We told him we liked it on the Lied podcast. Did we like it? Wow. <laughs> um, I did. I, I think this. Me too. This uh, is right in line with what we talked about when we were talking to Alex about these Rick and Morty comics. Um, they are really fun. Uh, really, a lot of interesting twists and turns. It feels like just editorially, there's such a strong uh, vision for this series, even though they're standalone issues. Like it fleshes out the past while having a lot of fun and and having some like real character moves by the end of it. I, I thought this is really good. You can't just put kids in pits with sharp objects on their heads. All right, guys, that's not going to hold up. That's not going to work. Uh, I don't know, man. That's how I want to raise my kids. Well, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, pit kids, pit, uh, kids raised in pits do not do well in life. Just We used up. to do a show live from the pit, and uh, that's where I hope to someday bring my children. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, yeah, I mean, this does uh, uh, feel very much like the show. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's, you know, it's what's cool is it's it really kind of a deep dive into this bird person's world, and it's enjoyable. All right. That is it for our Stack Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. Ask us questions about comic books. Pete's mic just completely fell apart just now. <laughs> iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. We'll see you next time at the virtual comic book shop. One friendship that isn't in disguise is ours. Aww. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.